Now, if you're new and you haven't been with us during this series, a little quick recap. Remember, David was picked from the pasture. The youngest runt of the litter that was never supposed to be anybody was going to be anointed king. And yet he had to wait. In fact, he went out and was the only one with bold enough faith to fight Goliath, and he still wasn't made king. He had to wait. Then he's in the the cave, as we looked at last week, and he has this moment where he could end Saul's life. Saul's trying to kill him. He would just be doing what he was supposed to do. And he said, no, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. He waits again. And then finally, God's timing comes. He's anointed king. And immediately, he becomes this great warrior king. It's no wonder the Israelites, for generations, would be longing for the era of David again. He protects their borders. He defeats the Ammonites. He has his 300 mighty men that are great warriors. And he has this whole list of people in the Old Testament that accomplish these amazing feats of victory in war and battle. And yet in the middle of all that, this man after God's own heart, our theme for 2023 is developing the heart of God in our community. This guy that had everything going well and even last week demonstrated obedience to God when it wasn't easy ends up struggling with obedience. Now, last week we talked about living an obedient life for God, and I'm excited to announce that uh, we took a poll, and this week no one in our church sinned at all. (laughs) It's the first time in human history. No, that didn't happen, right? Isn't it weird how we know that uh, being obedient to God, we get to see more of his blessing in our life, which blessing is not financial gain or prosperity in that way. It's his presence in our life. And yet we, we find ourselves often going right back to the very things that we knew got us in trouble in the first place. And sin just seems to creep up. You know, in the New Testament, they refer to the devil's work as he's a, a, a roaring lion that's prowling for prey. And I find that often in my life, I don't know about you, but my life, that that begins not as a roaring lion, but like a a little lion cub. Now, have you ever seen like a a, a little baby lion? Those things are cute and cuddly. Anybody want to just domesticate them and put them in your home? People have done it. People have tried, right? And then you get the stories later, that cute little cuddly thing ends up growing into something that desires to eat meat. And the reality is sin often comes creeping at our doorstep when we don't even see it. And this warrior king, who was a man after God's own heart, who had demonstrated obedience and humility to God, is going to begin in 2 Samuel chapter 11, this cycle of sin that gets worse and worse and worse. And he commits, this man after God's own heart, commits some of the most egregious acts in the entire Bible. Some of the most heinous things that you could imagine, he ends up committing, and it all starts in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Will you turn there with me? 2 Samuel chapter 11. As you're turning there, I want to let you know, I'm going to only read a few verses, and then we're going to pray. And this morning's message is PG-13, as we look now that David has been made king, they've begun to win in battle, and now he has this moment of sin, the story of David and Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 11. So because it's PG-13, in a moment when I pray, if you need to sneak out and check the kids into the 
the student or kids ministry, don't feel bad about that. You're their parents and you know what's best for each kid, but we want to let you know that ahead of time, we're just teaching God's word and God's word deals with some really heavy stuff this morning. So are you ready to study God's word together then? Come on. It says this in verse one of chapter 11. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, first of all, I love that there was like a time. <laughs> they, were, they weren't going out in the wintertime. That sounds rough. We're going to wait till the springtime when the kings go off to war. David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. We're going to break this down this morning, but in this one moment, David starts a chain of consequences and choices that lead to the complete destruction of his legacy in his life that will cause uh, sin repercussions that will split his own family, that within just a generation or two, the kingdom itself will be split in two, all because of the choices that David makes here. And if you're here struggling with obedience, you find yourself in the cycle of sin and you can identify with David's story, I wanna tell you that there, there is hope to actually change some things. And it took David too long to figure it out. Will you pray with me? God, uh, we just begin this morning and we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit yet again in this room with us. God, uh, this is heavy stuff that uh, I, I don't even have the right answers for people, God. We pray that your word would challenge us, convict us, encourage us, transform us. As we talk about things, if it brings up hard stuff for people, that we would know, God, that your Holy Spirit is here to bring healing, reconciliation, redemption in our lives. For those attending online, God, that even the, the moments in our homes right now through the internet, that you would speak to our soul spiritually, that your Holy Spirit would move in a way and transform us for all of eternity. We surrender this time to you. We acknowledge your presence. Speak to us, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen. Amen. Uh, do you have any big pet peeves in your life? Uh, I know I do. I've got several. One of them is uh, eating messy food. Anybody with me on this? Like, I don't know. Okay, maybe not. Maybe I'm the only one in the room. But I find, like, it annoys me to a level that is not normal. I, in fact, if I'm just eating with somebody in the morning and they're eating, like, cereal too loudly, they can even be keeping their mouth closed. But if I can hear it, it's going to drive me nuts. Who's with me? Come on. Now, the sound is one thing, but then I have three children, two boys. I, I'm telling you, my eight-year-old Jet, like, dude, he, in a moment, like, the, the meal could be there, and then he could be wearing it the very next moment. It's not just the sounds. It's, it's that we can make messes. My, my wife, she loves, like, those eating contests. Like, we got the hot dog eating contest coming up. And I know uh, Joey Chestnut, uh, the, the champion for all these years, apparently lives here in Hamilton County, and he can stuff all those hot dogs and eat all that stuff, and she likes to watch it. It's like, who's going to win? This is amazing. I can't believe he can accomplish and put all that food in his stuff. And the whole time, I'm thinking, that's disgusting. 
it's getting all over and it's like coming down or like you see the everything eat the hot peppers and they're sweating so much my kids why i'm like that's disgusting why do i want to watch that and my kids they could even begin i sit down for a meal and heaven forbid we're eating like a barbecue sandwich or something and i just know like it's going to be a moment before something drips and that just happens to be the day they wore an all-white t-shirt that we just purchased online somewhere and I tell him ahead of time to like my son, dude, just take the shirt off now. Just take it off. And it never fails. No, no, dad, I'm going to be fine. And then it starts with like a little drop of barbecue sauce or something. And then I'm like having an interior meltdown and anxiety. And then they realize that they've already kind of failed because they got a little stain on the shirt. So then they just kind of give up. And the next thing you know, there's like a blotch. And then like that barbecue sauce, it grows. And it's like they're wearing the whole sandwich before the meal is over. Parents who's been there, I, I want to tell you, man, and, and so at the end, you're just like, I give up. I'm just throwing the t-shirt away. Why even bother with it? What happens here in this passage with David is this one seemingly very small act, putting himself in a position where he lusts for Bathsheba is going to end up creating a problem, a little dot, a little stain in his life. And then that's going to lead to a greater one. And before you know it, his whole life is going to be a mess. And you might as well just throw it all away now. Some of you in here have made some poor choices. You've committed lustful acts. You've led with, for power and greed. And you've sinned and separated yourself from God. And you tried to do what we talked about last week, to try to be a more obedient person, but you did it on your own willpower rather than having the spirit of God that is a spirit of self-discipline and self-control and power and love. Second Timothy 1.7, that he could come alongside you and help you in your weakness. We try to do it on our own. What I want to challenge you this morning is if you feel like you've made a mess of your life to hold on to the power and redemption of Jesus Christ to change things. And David eventually gets it, but it takes way too long. And he hurts so many people in the process that could have been avoided if he would have acknowledged it. Now, I want to look at this passage, and some of you may say, there's a lot of Bible teaching this morning. Well, that's kind of what we're doing here, so get used to it. 2 Timothy 11, look at verse 4. Look what it says. Then David sent messengers to get her. Now, it doesn't say that there was like a romantic conversation that started budding over drinks and then like it was just he sent somebody to get her. And we're going to talk about the abuse of power that this passage has in here. And this is adultery, but there's a lot more going on. But look with me as we'll come back to that at the end. It says she came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. So this act has consequences now and. Well, God can use our poor choices for good things, rather than being honest about his sin, David does what we often do. He, he tries to cover it up. And this one sin gets bigger, and the ball gets, snowball gets rolling, and the avalanche is about to occur. And this is what happens, the cycle of sin in our lives. Look at verse 6. So David sent this word to Joab, his general out in the field. Send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. He didn't really care, but he's making small talk. Verse 8, then David said to Uriah, Uriah is the husband of Bathsheba, go down to your house and wash your feet. Now, here's the thing. 
David knows Uriah well. He, he's one of the 300 mighty men, one of the great warriors. This is like, that's probably why he had a prominent home there in the town and, and why David had, could visually see the house because it was close to his. And, and so in this moment, he brings his friend home and he tells him, go home and wash your feet. And you're like, I don't get why is he going to clean his feet dirty? What's going on? That is a euphemism for go home and spend some relational time with your wife. We all tracking? And so he's going to send him home hoping that they will consummate their marriage again and that she, he will never know that it was David that actually got the, uh, her pregnant. And that one sin leads to this lie and deception now to Uriah. But Uriah is kind of a noble dude. Look what he does here. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told Uriah didn't go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you come from a military campaign? <laughs> haven't you missed your wife a little bit? Why don't you go home? And look how Uriah responds. He said to David, the ark and the Israel of Israel and Judah are staying in tents and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. So you would think, okay, well, David was deceptive. He tried, he's gonna give up. Just you know, be honest. Is that what human beings do? No, like many of us, he's going to just take it a step further. So if you read in the passage, he'll go on and he'll try and bring him over for a feast and he'll get Uriah drunk and he'll be like, go home to your wife and Uriah still won't do it. And so after he's tried everything, skip down now to, to verse 15. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Job and sent it with Uriah. And in verse 15, it says, in it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. He sends his friend, one of the 300 mighty men, out to the front lines and tells the general Joab to essentially have him murdered. Now, I know they're in war, so is that murder? But, but that's really what's happening, isn't it? He's trying to cover up his own sin. The cycle started with him on the, with lust, then taking Bathsheba up there and then consummating. And then now that he's covering it up and now he's going to have his friend murdered all to cover up his own sin. If you look now, if you skip down a little farther to verse 18, Joab sent David a full account of the battle. Verse 19, he instructed the messenger, when you have finished giving the king this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up and he may ask you, why did you get so close to the city to fight? And he's going to be like, didn't you know they would shoot arrows? And so he tells the messenger, because he's afraid the king, David, is going to forget why they did such a dumb thing in battle. <laughs> Joab is a seasoned general. He should know better than to do what he does there. So he tells the messenger, so remind him that Uriah the Hittite has died. Wink, wink. And so Joab does all of that, and he sends him out there, and he dies. If you look all the way down to verse 26 now, verse 26. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. 
We're going to come back to that as well. Some of you, if you've had things happen in your life where you've seen this type of hurt and pain caused, this destructive nature of sin, even an abuse of power that occurs here, I want you to hear this morning that good God that we serve was displeased and he is going to get his justice. But I also want to demonstrate to you what David here had done. He now has covered everything up, has his friend murdered, and now he's going to steal Uriah's wife. And in fact, the prophet Nathan in the next chapter, chapter 13, I believe, he's going to address it and say, hey, what you did was wrong. And essentially, you stole Bathsheba from Uriah. And no one would ever have to know, right? Because that's what happens, but yet God knows. If you're taking notes, the title of this morning's sermon is really simple. Don't be like David. (laughs) Can we do that? If you're David in the room, sorry, we said good things the last several weeks, but this morning, don't be like David. Number one, here's some mistakes David made. Number one, David disengaged. He disengaged, and I want to use it as an analogy for our own battle. Look at verse 1 again. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, kings go off to war, but David didn't go, did he? David sent Joab with his king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites, besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. He was the warrior king who had always been engaged in battle on the front lines, and yet it's in the moment where he decides to stay home, put his feet up, relax a little bit, get disengaged, that he gets bored and begins to find distractions that cause problems in his life. I find that it's often in those moments where we're disengaged, not in a actual war or battle, but in our spiritual battle that we're in, that we often get distracted by lust and greed and power and sin. The enemy knows when to come and steal, kill, and destroy. It's when we kind of got our feet up a little bit spiritually and we're not engaged in what God's got before us. Can I talk to the men for just a second? I I don't do this very often, all right? Like, I want to tell you, I believe this morning's message applies both uh, equally to men and to women. But I want to talk to the men for just a moment. I've found in my life that when I get disengaged from my relationship with God, from the spiritual battle he's got before me, is often when I can get a little distracted and get into my own temptations in my life. When I was 19 years old, I first became a Christian. I was living in a fraternity house, and you know, most of the stuff happening there wasn't honoring to God. And I was struggling. And I didn't share this before, but I had just become a Christian, and for the first time at 19 years old, I was convicted about pornography and addiction in my life. And I was like, I I don't want to do this anymore, but I was still struggling. And I didn't know what to do. And I kept trying harder, but stuff wouldn't change. And in that first year, I got to the point where I got desperate enough to realize it wasn't my power and authority that was going to change anything. I was never going to be able to be obedient enough, like we talked about last week, without the Spirit of God helping me. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God does not give us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and self-discipline. I lack the self-discipline and self-control without the spirit of God along with me. But if I wasn't engaged in the spiritual battle and allowing the spirit of God to help me by studying his word, communing with God, praying, I was never going to grow in my faith. One of the things that helped me grow in my faith the most was actually starting a Bible study in a fraternity house. I didn't know anything about the Bible. 
I was terrible at leading the Bible study, but like 50 to 20 guys showed up. And I found that as I was trying to pursue God's best and to, to, to teach these guys and to help lead, I was growing as much or more than they were. Because when you're engaged in the spiritual battle, when you're communing with God over time, you won't get distracted by all these things. These longings for the sin will begin to lessen. Number one, if you're taking notes, David disengaged. Don't be like David. Number two, David strolled the balcony. Seemingly harmless, right? That's how it often begins. He's just out on a balcony perusing a little bit. Look what it said there. It said, one evening, David got up from his bed. He was supposed to be sleeping, but he thought, oh, I'll just go take a stroll on the balcony. Now, it's one of the luxuries of being king, I presume, and you would have a great view and all of that. But what else is David going to know is out there? Think he's never noticed that people can take baths on their roofs? You think they didn't have the internet then or movies to watch, but essentially for David in his life as king, the balcony was the World Wide Web of options. To look down because he would have been in the highest home. He could have looked down and, and seen into windows or onto roofs and seen and perused. It may not, you know, it may not have been sexual or anything like that or even lustful, but he was doing, he was prying just a little bit. That's often how it starts, right? Like you're just like scrolling through Instagram and something catches you out your eye that you know isn't like really bad, but you also are kind of interested in it and you know it's not good for you. And then that leads to a little more and then a little more. And then the next thing you know, you've clicked on something that you tell yourself and justified that it wasn't that big a deal, but then you got into it and then it got a little deeper. And the next thing you know, you, you found yourself in sin. The first mistake David made was strolling the balcony the Bible teaches us to flee. If you struggle with a certain sinful action, to flee from it. Second Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. All those sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. It says run away before the temptation even starts. J.D. Greer says it this way, it's easier to avoid temptation than to resist it. You know that if, that is, if, if sexual lust is something you're struggling with, you know the places that you can't put yourself in. Martin Luther, the reformer, says this. I love this even better than Greer's quote. He says, if your head is made of butter, stay away from the fire. Anybody got a little too close to the fire? That it's easier to resist the, the temptation, to, to put, not put yourself in the, the middle of temptation than to resist it once it occurs. Because the enemy gets his claws into you if you're not careful. And so not being in a place where you're at late at night clicking on things in the first place is the first line of defense against that type of spiritual attack in your life. You can't be disengaged. And some of you, you need to get off the balcony. You need to get out of the places that's causing you to lust. If you're struggling with greed and you just spend too much, you spend it on all kinds of vain things, probably perusing the local, uh, you know, car lots. And if you're a car salesman, I apologize, but like probably perusing that if it is a sin in your life because you just keep spending money you don't have, well, then maybe you should stop putting yourself in that place. And we could go down the line of sin. It's not just lust, sexual lust. It's any type of sin. If we know we're putting ourselves in, some of us need to get off the balcony and stop putting ourselves in that position. Excuse me, position. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way. Uh, if you don't know who he is, he was a German pastor during World War II. He actually was part of a larger group that tried to have Hitler assassinated, and he ended up losing his life after being in, in a camp for a while. And he wrote this about temptation. 
He's talking about his, the small church he was leading. In our members, there is a slumbering inclination toward desire that is awakened with sudden ferocity. When you get yourself into the temptation, it just comes on strong. With irresistible power, desire seizes mastery of the flesh. The flesh burns and is in flames. In this moment, God becomes quite unreal to us, which is what happens to David. The cycle, the avalanche begins to occur. He's going, and at this moment, he's only thinking about the consequences and the sin, and he can't even really see or hear what God is doing in his life anymore. It says desire envelopes us in darkness and makes us utterly forget God. Therefore, the Bible teaches that in times of temptation to our flesh, there is one command, flee. Flee youthful lust, flee worldly temptation, run. No human being has within them the strength to resist such overpowering emotions. In fact, he was given opportunities, right? Like he notices Uriah, but by being on the balcony, the, the avalanche begins to start, the, 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 the cycle of sin begins to occur, and look what happens in verse 3. Remember, did you read this part? And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said she is Bathsheba, the, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. The guy even tries to tell him, hey, this is somebody's daughter. This is someone's wife. And often in this kind of sin, we can dehumanize people and turn them into objects. And, and he's trying to tell him, look, look what you're doing. Look what you're about to start. And he can't see it because he's broken after that lustful thought. He got into the temptation and he can't get himself out of it now. That's why I think being, having an open book to your life, to being honest, I found when I was struggling, one of the first things I had to do was stop hiding stuff. To be real and honest about what was actually going on in my life. And if somebody asked me a question to give an honest answer. I'm not always perfect at it, but it's something I've tried to practice for the last 20 plus years of my Christian life because I know, I know that's how the enemy can get to me. Do you know that on my email account, I believe that there are four different people that have access to my email because I don't want, I don't want to be the only one. I don't want to have something to hide. If my wife ever asked for something, she doesn't. But if you ever asked for something, I would show her anything, any direct messages, any Facebook messages, anything that she would want. You're like, well, Shouldn't we trust one another? Yeah, but we make excuses all the time to get out of being honest in our life. And look, I'm not trying to tell you that to make you feel guilty. I'm trying to tell you that because you're in a spiritual battle that you're disengaged in and the enemy is winning because you're afraid to be honest. If we would just not be afraid of the enemy's tactics... And just be honest, David, after the one sin, could have avoided a whole lot of problems. The kingdom probably wouldn't have been torn in two and all these things. Yes, God could use what the enemy meant for evil for, for good. Yes, God could still use David in his life. Yes, there would be redemption, but he could have missed out on all these consequences. But he let the ball keep rolling. And before he knew it, that little dot on his shirt got covered with all the sin in his life. Number three, if you're taking notes, the final thing is this. See, because he objectified this woman who was someone's daughter and someone's wife, he, he also is going to abuse the power that God had anointed him to hold, which is almost the worst sin of anything that he does here in this passage. It really is the worst because God anointed him king. 
the shepherd of his people, and he's not going to protect the flock. In fact, Nathan will use the language that he essentially steals. He's a thief in the night. He steals this lamb, this Bathsheba. He steals her from her husband and her family. David abused his power. Number three, if you're taking notes, look at verse four. Then David sent messengers to get her. Uh, ESV says, take her. Now, she didn't really have a choice because he's king, right? He, he had the power and authority. And I know it brings up all kinds of contextualized questions in our culture. And, and some have, have asked, is, is what occurring here considered rape? And I know that's a hard thing to even say out loud. But I, I want to tell you this morning that we, you know, in this passage, it doesn't talk about any of what actually occurs here. It does make very clear that he was abusing his power. Now, when Tamar and that situation where she actually is talked about having been raped, that it uses different language than it uses in this passage. And it doesn't use that word here, but it does make very clear that he was this king who had the power and he used it over the powerless and brings destruction. And too often in our churches, we're afraid to talk about this, people leveraging power that they have, sometimes that God has even gifted them for evil things. Lust and sexual sin, greed and authority, hurting other people. And it's easy to point the fingers at others rather than to look at ourselves and say, God, this displeases you and you will have your justice. So how can I learn from this to not become like David and abuse the power that I've been given in my life? As a mom or a dad, you have a certain level of authority in the household, at your workplace. One of the best ways that we can demonstrate Christ to people is actually to allow the power that we've been given to lead with humility, to say, this, we are nothing, it is all God's, and I'm not going to lord things over people. That's why in 1 Peter 5, 2 and 3, it says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing. As God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock, to demonstrate how, for other people, how to lead with humility. I can tell you as a dad, man, that's hard to do sometimes with my own kids, right? I just want to just listen, because I'm in charge here. And instead, setting the example for them of how to have humility how to lead with the grace and the mercy and the truth of God. Because the truth is the reality why people go to these places of lust or power or sin that uh, hurts other people in our lives, it often begins because we've destructed our relationship with God himself. Isaiah 59, 2, but your inequities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his phrase from you so that he does not hear. All, God can forgive any sin, Right? But there are consequences to our sin. And sometimes when we get ourselves into major cycles of sin, like David gets here, we get so jaded, we don't even feel bad anymore. We just, we go on to the next sin and to the next sin, because after we got this little bit of stain on the shirt, why not just make a mess of it? I'm throwing this life away anyway. I've been evil. I'll always be evil. Might as well keep on being evil. And I want to tell you this morning, God's not done with you, no matter what your past and your choices are, but it's going to take being honest. Stop abusing the life that you have been given. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. 
and purify us from all unrighteousness. We could be righteous and pure, but it won't be by you trying harder and striving more. It will be by you receiving the spirit of God to fight back spiritually and get engaged. Acts 3, 19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I'm gonna close with this. Our goal this morning is not to make anybody feel guilty or bring shame. But I want to tell you that if you're honest this morning, you confess your sin and repent, you can know the grace and forgiveness of God. It does not mean that if you've made some choices that the consequences of your sin won't exist. And if you've been on the receiving end of the consequences, I want you to hear this morning that God is displeased and he will have justice. And we desire to be a place of healing and restoration for people. And I invite you, we've got uh, prayer counselors right here after the service in our prayer room. We've got a list of Christian counselors. We'll help pay for counseling. If you've gone through traumatic experiences, we're on your team and not making light of anything that's been done to you. But there's this tension in scripture where where God's not okay with sin ever. And there is consequences. And at the same time, he will forgive anyone who has a truly repentant heart and confesses their sin and is honest about their life. And so if you're here and you've been on the giving end and you have hurt people and you have been destructive and you know that you've, you've clicked on things and you've watched things, let's get real. Probably the majority of us in this room have done lustful things in our life in the last couple of years and will never tell a soul about it. And so the enemy wins. That's how that works, period. The only way he doesn't win is if we're honest. We talk to God. We confess it. We repent and do this beautiful. We're afraid to even say the word repent in church sometimes. Make you feel, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to be honest that you could have good news. Not carry around that weight and that baggage anymore. Because it's hurting you. And it's going to hurt other people in your life. And you're going to avoid it. And you're going to bury it deep down inside and never bring it up. The Spirit of God is trying to tell all of us, myself included, you can be honest. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm not against you, but you have to be real and you have to be honest and you have to repent of the sin in your life. And he will bring and make you new. See, David will finally get it. He'll he'll destroy the kingdom in the process because it took so long. And look, God will still use the choices and And we don't know why God does the storyline he does, but I want to tell you in the end, David will finally get to a point of confession and repentance. And he writes this Psalm in Psalm 51, not just about this act, but all the stuff in his life. In Psalm 51, he writes this. And I wonder for some of us this morning, if we just need to confess some of our own things and whether it's in your own mind or you actually physically write it down and write a Psalm out this morning to God, it's probably not the inspired word of God, but you could actually confess your sin like David. Look what he says here as we close out our time. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my inequity, my sin, my wrongdoing, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. That bag is weighing on me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my inequity. 
When my kids like make the stain and then it gets bigger and bigger, don't you just wish you had some like superpower detergent you could just put on that thing and it would look like the moment you bought it again? I mean, they sell us those products, but it doesn't work like that, does it? The Bible teaches us that when Jesus came, he was crucified, atoning and covering up for our sin and wrongdoing. He resurrected from the grave on the third day, overcoming death itself, that anybody that draws nears to God could actually be forgiven and redeemed and made new and pure at heart again. Say, that couldn't happen to me. I couldn't be whiter than snow. That's not going to happen. I've got too many, too many terrible decisions in my past. I don't want to tell you some of the people closest to God are actually the ones who have actually lived through life and then actually repented and had the redemption of God. I remember when I first confessed my sin in that way and repented, I bawled for like a week. I'm not a crier. I don't cry much, but I couldn't stop crying because I couldn't believe that God actually loved me and forgave me. And I want to tell you he does. And so that's how David gets to verse 10. Created me a pure heart, O God and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Some of us in here can cry out to God, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew my, give me a steadfast spirit to be able to be white as snow that you see me and don't see the, the stain of my sin anymore. And that could be you, that could be me. I want to give you the opportunity to respond to that. Will you pray with me, God? I pray for all of us in this room right now who have unrepentant sin issues. I know when I'm in those places, God, I want to blame other people. I want to, I want to avoid you. I want to avoid this moment. And yet you, God, you came to us for this very reason, for this moment, for this time that we would stop pretending it's not happening and we would be honest about it and we would confess our sin and repent of it. And so if that's you in the room and you would like to renew that steadfast spirit, to allow the Holy Spirit to not leave from you, to create a clean heart in you, confess your sin to God right now, in this moment, not out loud, in the silence in this room, just confess it to him. I promise you he can hear you. we're sorry for the the lust, sin, the abuse of power. Sorry for the greed and the hurt. We do this beautiful act. We repent of it. We receive your forgiveness and grace because of your atoning sacrifice. Making us a, a pure heart, God. We surrender everything to you. If you'd like to surrender to Jesus as Lord of your life, pray this with me this moment, right now, God, I repent of all of my sin, everything I've done, everything I did in this service, everything I'm going to do in the future, I repent of it, and I surrender my life to you as Lord fully, Lord Jesus. We love you. We confess you're our Savior, and we worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's family said, amen.